G'day ladies and gents, welcome to Life of Mine, the go-to mining podcast. Matty Michael here, sorry about the delay between episodes, school holidays, work life, she's all been a bit flat out, but uh, I'll bring to you this week... Darren Strahlo, Chief Development Officer for Northern Star. Now, he's been with Northern Star since its conception and he's been at the forefront of the success of Northern Star at Paulson's, the many acquisitions they've made, and he's now living the corporate lifestyle, uh, well-earned and well-deserved as well. And Strahlo, they call him Stretch. He's about six foot 100, and he provides a great insight into his career in this episode and this will lead into our part two where he discusses his passion for nurturing graduate engineers and graduate students and how he's still at the forefront of employing those people into northern star resources so good chat about it actually had it in the ceo's office comfy lounge set up awesome time so i hope you enjoy the chat with stralo here we go Darren Strahlo, mate, we have got the, we've got to get a photo of this after, we're in the comfy, we're actually in the big dog's office, in Stewie's office, can I say that on here? You can say we're in Stewie Tonkin's <laughs> office, mate. <laughs> Comfy, comfy. Yeah, this is the best setup I've ever got. Sitting back, we'll get a photo of this later. Only the best for you, Matty. <laughs> good on you, mate. How are you, mate? Well, I'm very good, mate. Very good. I'm uh, probably a little bit jet lagged. I just got off an international flight 48 hours ago back from, from the States from a yep. couple of conferences over there. Uh, but look, mate, life's good. We are. Oh, I've asked you about that. What's your. Like, how much time would you put into conferences, speaking at events? non-revenue generating uh, <laughs> events like this, I guess, like passive, but like it must consume a pretty big part of the Darren Stralo <laughs> corporate life. Yeah, look, it, it, you only do things that add value, right? So going, we've sort of whittled it down over the years to picking a few key conferences that, w- that we want to attend, like all around the world. And um, for right now, the big ones we go to are the BMO conference, which is in Miami in February. Sometimes we go to PDAC, which is in Toronto off the back of that. Uh, then there's the Diggers and Dealers conference, which is in Kalgoorlie in August. That's sort of our hometown show. Yep. Uh, so we always have a presence there. And then uh, we have the one I was just at a couple of weeks ago. So the Precious Metal Summit in Beaver Creek in Colorado, yep. followed by the Denver Gold Forum. Oh, which so is there the was two after. over there. Two yeah, over there, yeah. Because oh, yeah. I see your, 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 your melons just all over LinkedIn with even just speaking at um, like university-related, school-related events as well. There must be a bit of like company stuff, but a bit of your side passions as well. Yeah, look, and- Look, I, I had a th- I was having a think about a few things to do with mining uh, last year uh, when we were faced with not getting a lot of mining engineers enrolling in mining and, and that type of stuff. And one of the things that, that came out was that people weren't aware of the positive things about the mining industry. That lots of people just talked about the negatives. Yep. Uh, so I took it as a bit of a, a shot in the arm to say, you know what, I actually need to start communicating some of the good stuff that's happening to me out there so you know when you go to a, on a site visit and see something cool or uh you know you're at a conference in a in a ni- nice part of the world that you might not have had another opportunity to go to or you know something good happens within the business or even in the industry that you can promote it's worth using a tool like a linkedin or something mm-hmm. to to put that out there so that um 
other people can see that there's actually positive things that that are in mining and yeah. um, and promote ourselves because. I just don't think we we are very good at promoting a lot of the positive things that happen. Right? Yeah, well, WA because I know New South Wales. A lot of us didn't even know mining existed. Is it W? If you go into a WA school, is everyone pretty aware of the mining opportunities out there? Like, well, I think that's the that's the sad thing, right? Is that people aren't like yeah, people really, aren't aware even in WA, it, even in WA. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a little bit of advertising sometimes that's done by the big boys, but. Um, you know, the people in the rural communities, uh, you know, people, the country boys or, and girls all sort of know about mining, but in the city, you know, we live in a, in a bubble here and yeah, right. people aren't that aware of it. So, uh, you know, things like you're doing with, even with a podcast, mate, of being able to, you know, tell stories and, um, and different things about what's happening in an industry, I think, uh, is awesome to hopefully attract you know, millennials and, and good people to the industry mm. in the future. I'll have to, I'll have to, I don't know, can they listen to the ones with swearing? Because their title is explicit. I'll have to, the, the year 11s mightn't be able to get a start or the year 12s if they're under 18. <laughs> I'll have to see. Well, and do they, I think, because they need to promote mining as a trade. I think, like, like yeah, you know, you, there's the tertiary opportunities with engineering, geology, et cetera, but like, the underground going to work in underground mining, it's, it, it is a trade. Like, well, you can get a yeah. cert two in metalliferous mining now, but there's, there's like for, for the, I think the consensus of some students would be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to go to uni, I can't get into mining. But like, yeah, well, that's know, right. Have like entry level truck driver, but people don't know how to get into it either, right? Yeah. And that that's the the tough thing because it's not like you can go to a TAFE out of school or have all that stuff happen. It's usually. Um, you know, the green starters that you see are people that know someone that's in the industry that will give them some advice on, you know, go talk to this bloke or this bloke or, yeah. uh, or, or you know, move to Kalgoorlie and do this and you might be able to get a job. But, you know, there's a resource, this untapped resource of, uh, of a lot of people that, you know, maybe they just want to have a go for six months yeah. and see if they like it or not. But I know plenty of people that have, you know, decided to, give it a crack for three months or six months and then six years later or, or 20 years later are still involved in the industry. So, Well, you get someone like, like let's just pitch you straight into your underground uh, career progression at 18 and then like you get your 10 years under your belt, you're 28 and you, you guys are probably – Guys or girls would probably be on a jumbo by that time, by before thirty, which is like a, a feat. But like ten years of underground mining experience is pretty pretty bloody good. So. Yeah, it's pretty good, and, and you know it's quite often that your underground miners will have a trade already before they come underground. You know, like how many yeah. people have you worked with that have been a you know a chippy or a sparky mm. or a butcher yeah. or you know worked in a um, some random shitty job for a couple of years before they actually get into mining? Um, there's heaps of those people all around. So. Yeah, and what because and. Work's going to be huge. What was your thing on LinkedIn the other day? The fella in Denver quoted the gold price for twenty forty. Was it between five and twenty grand or something an ounce? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's Pierre Lassonde. So you have to you know, big take him with a uh, with a grain of salt because he is the <laughs> world's biggest gold bull. Yeah, right. uh, him and this bloke called Jim Ricards. If you ever yeah. see those guys, but. Um, I think they just try and outdo each other. So Jim Ricards was saying it was going to get to twelve thousand bucks an ounce. So Pierre Lassonde. <laughs> Says I can one up you. Uh, I reckon it's now going to get between five thousand and twenty five thousand bucks an ounce by twenty forty nine. So this was a thirty year projection, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's ba it was based on what's happened over the last thirty years, and then some, you know, some economic things that that he sort of thinks and. Yeah. Um, but as you remember, like he is, 
he is all he's about in the game gold of being and, a gold bull. You know, he's the ex uh, guy that did Franco Nevada royalties, and um, yeah. you know he's been around a, a long time. Yeah. He's a billionaire though, so he, maybe yeah, he yeah. knows something, Matty. Yeah, well, because I remember hearing. Oh, I think it was Bill was on. He was on Sky News or something. Sky News business. And he, he said, "Oh, look, I'm not a gold bull by any means. I just I, I run a gold company. He used what's his Northern Star like bullish on gold that you don't even take a view of it. You just you 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 just." Purchase assets based on irrelevant of the economic conditions with well, gold. You, do, you you've got to base it on fundamentals, right? So you can't just go and look out and do things because you hope that the gold price is going to go up. Like hope is one thing, action yeah. is another. So you can sit there and say, you know, I'm hoping to, uh, I'm hoping for the gold price to go to three thousand bucks an ounce. So I'm going to make these three decisions uh, and. It's luck whether it works out or not. Yeah. Whereas how we want to run a business is based on on action and and being able to deliver results into it. So it's it's not about luck. Yeah, and even like the short term gold price movements at the moment. Like, so you can't disclose too much. But uh, I remember, I think I talked to Kate Somerville the other week from Goldfield. So they're they're still sort of they're not taking a look at saying this new gold price is the gold price now when looking looking into the future because is there is there expected volatility possibly in the gold price or look there always is and you know what we sort of sit and think as a as a company and you know this is all stuff that's done at a board level right but um, you know bill talks about it in, in some of the presentations and and q and a sessions and stuff that he does but you want to protect those sort of budget outcomes so you you know you come out with your guidance which is based on your budget saying we're going to produce x amount of ounces this year at x amount of costs Meaning we're going to make this much revenue. Uh, you make capital investment decisions in you know expansion of mines, infrastructure, everything that's based on getting that money in the door. Mm. Uh, so what you what is smart sort of fiscally to do is to lock in some of that revenue. So that's what hedging is. So yep. hedging is, you know, we for example will forward sell somewhere between twenty to forty percent of our gold. Yeah, uh, revenue, and that's over a couple of years. And what that does is that just locks in that stuff. And we tend to do that uh, at a level that is above where we set our budgets. So it just helps justify all those capital decisions that you make because you know there is a lot of capital that goes into into running a mine and yep. running a you know a lot of mines. Yep. Um, by locking that in, it's just it's just smart. It's protecting your shareholders. It's like an insurance policy. Yeah. Uh, but you do want to make sure you're retaining some of that upside, particularly in a, um, you know, in an environment where the gold price is going up. You know, that's what a lot of investors are in you for, right? So, um, you know, people can invest in just physical gold or you know, gold ETFs or or the metal. So when the metal goes up by three percent or or whatever, um, they enjoy that. But yep. As a gold mining company, we're leveraged to that upside in the gold price and the downside in the gold price. Yeah. Uh, so people don't want us to just hedge all of our production because then they know, um, okay, that is defined definite outcome. Our investors will take differing views on what gold's going to do, and that might be why they're in or not in uh, our stock. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's exciting to think if, like, let's let's say the gold price did go to say four or five thousand an ounce, just bringing online underground projects where like. Uh, cutoff grade becomes one to two grams instead of like current levels of let's say four. Like it's uh, be exciting Mate, to see how many. Where are we going to get people from, Matty? Close to the close to the surface as well. You won't have to go a k deep to get it either. Well, that's right. I mean, the the goldfields lights up at 
you know, I, I don't think anyone's done a proper assessment at, you know, a sustained $2,000 gold price because yep. we've only just got there in the past couple of months. Mm. But, um, you know, it can keep going up beyond that and, and has the ability to. And that just just lights everything up. So the amount of you know existing operations that are sitting there idle that might not be economic that can now get get kicked on. Yeah. Um, that's when you start to to sort of think about you know you're going to need gear to do it. You're going to need people to do it. You're going to need all that, which is a rare commodity. Uh, and then for us that have existing operations and you know need that gear and need those people, yep. uh, it's going to make life hard. Is, so is the what is gold pretty? Uh- sensitive to supply in terms of like all these all these new mines could come on like come on based on this like gold price that's gone up to th- three thousand bucks an ounce but then an oversupply of gold is it as sensitive as some other commodities i'm just as you see i don't ask any <laughs> questions i've sent you through mate we're just going rogue gear no, Jeez, you're doing well at answering them but <laughs> uh, yeah thanks mate um look with with mines right nothing's quick so you know to get something from that might be sitting idle through to being shovel ready you've got to go through permitting processes through investment processes uh all that type of thing so um it you know maybe some companies and we do a lot of work internally to have projects being shovel ready but then you've also got the operation there how are you going to get your process how are you going to process it so there's only a limited amount of process plants around you know, to refurb a plant takes six to 12 months mm. to build a new plant. You know, once you go through the approvals and get it all ready to go, the long lead items are yeah. um, make it, you know, a year to 18 months before you can you can build it. So you're talking about things a long way into the future. And that's yeah. when you go back to the volatility question is um, how do you how do you be sure, you know, how do you as a as a board who's looking after a company with lots of different investors everywhere, you've got to be a good steward of their investment. How do you make that decision to do something that might only deliver two years from now based on a gold price that you've only had for the past three months? Yeah. It's a it's a bit of a, an interesting conundrum to have and that's why uh, that's why we have very smart people that's on why, the boards why these you days, all do. That's why you all do what you do. Okay, into the Dar- the Darren Stralo story, which is this part part one that I'm sure the whole um, of Australia will be listening to. So, school teacher parents is that was that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, dad's uh, from Western Sydney, from Blacktown, yeah. um, and mum's from uh, Fremantle. God's country, so yep. uh, you know you got the brown low last night, mate. Congratulations! Yeah, well, look, we have the best player in the AFL. All we need now is a CEO, what, the a best coach, team in the AFL. About ten more good players, and uh, we're cooking with gas, mate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've hung through them thick and thin, mate. Good on you, uh, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it uh, it builds character being a friend <laughs> supporter, Maddie. I must say, it builds character. But no, um, look. Uh, so my mum was a nurse, and and dad was a teacher. They ended up living in Cobar. So oh, um, yep, yep. dad was a teacher at Cobar High School and taught all the all the miners kids and all the and so all that. So he probably and, taught old Finney. Oh mate, he Nah, I think Finney's about my age or or somewhere around there. Um so dad was teaching high school oh, right, back when mate, I was yeah, born. So yeah. yeah. You're good at maths, aren't you, mate? Oh, dude, no, not, <laughs> not at this time of the day, mate. <laughs> I'm on break um, at the moment. All good. Um, so how'd you, how'd you then venture from uh, – where'd you get the, the taste for mining or the, the idea to do mining engineering coming? I guess from – you hear a lot, a lot of people I've interviewed have come from 
mining family backgrounds or something to do with mining you you've sort yeah, of yeah so i think that that dad's time in cobar actually had an effect on him you know yeah. seeing the mining town and um dealing with the miners the mining engineers their kids and and um being involved in it uh so when he moved they moved west when i was about three so i've lived in uh basically in Fremantle since i was three yep and um i, I think yeah that that time in cobar was you know it had an impression on him and, and he liked the whole mining side of things so you know for me growing up i was uh I was always okay at school, you know, like I was uh, good at science in particular, science and maths, and I always thought that I was going to be some kind of engineer. Yep. Um, probably if it was up to me, uh, I would have done chemical engineering out of school just because I was good at chemistry and that yeah, kind of yeah, made yeah. sense to me because they kind of sound the same. Yep. And then my old man was good enough to take me aside and, and explain a few things about chemical engineering, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, mining engineering, how all yep. that tied together. And uh, he was a strong advocate for mining engineering. Yeah, right. So, did, but did you know the existence of mining oh, engineering? Mate, not, not at all, on. right? Yeah. Not at all. Like we'd been to Kalgoorlie sort of once uh, when we were on a, a cross country trip. Um, uh, you know, had a look at the super pit, all, all that type of thing. But uh, what what the appeal of it was for me was being theoretical, but also being practical at the same yep. time. And I think you know, like your old man knows you as well as anyone, and he's mm. like, look. He said to me, you're going to get bored if you're just sitting in an office all day doing calculations and doing yeah. analysis and stuff. I think you'd be better off if you had something that allowed you to be a bit more practical and get out in the field and um, actually see, you know, the fruits of what you're doing while you're doing it. And in mining, you'll get that. Yep. And um, yeah, so look, I signed up. I did one year at Curtin in Perth. And, and by the end of that year, I was, I was keen as to move out to Kalgoorlie. And yeah. Did you have the option? To go to Cal or stay in Curtin? I think I had the option, but uh, look, I had no money. Like, you know, typical student. <laughs> to get a free- If you did it, it'd be concerned. You're either, you, you're probably a drug dealer at uni <laughs> if you got money, I think. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I just used that sort of free year of accommodation in Perth to, um, you know, really see if I liked it and what I wanted to do. But, you know, first couple of weeks of it, and I'm like, actually, this is, this is yeah, a lot yeah. of fun. Um, we had a really good crew sort of studying back then, uh, you know, going through yep. um, that I had, you know, made some, you know, lifelong friends out, out of those guys. And um, look, and I was really happy to, to move to Kalgoorlie. And, you know, Wasm in Kalgoorlie is such an awesome environment because you basically move away from home for the first time. You're stuck in a, you know, in a not a small country town, but sort of a, a decent sized country town, but you all live you know, within a kick of a footy of each other and you all, you know, hang out with it, you know, hang out and um, go to the pub together and play sport together and get into trouble together. Just yep. And, um, you know, this was pre-mobile phones and, and pre all, all that sort of stuff. So you had this disconnect from your family and your wasn't mates became your family and yeah, that's why yeah. you sort of create those those lifelong friends there. Well, you get, you'd get a bit of nostalgia going back to going through the Wasm camp like because same thing here like you it's just such a it's the greatest part of my life was going to uni like you just it's just su such good fun i'm not but, telling your wife you said that either mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i probably should have said that too, but, uh, yeah great greatest part of your young life but it's uh, exactly even when you were saying mate, i was reflecting on it the other day when you had no mobile phone so like that, that's when you'd have to go out and if you wanted to transfer money that you weren't supposed to touch into your 
account at 11 o'clock at night that you had to do it over the phone and like we didn't have like a net bank and all that on on our smartphones and you'd ring up in the morning and you've overdrawn by 300 dollars and you got no food for the week like that but that was the fun of it that yeah. was yeah it was and, you like, know trying to maintain relationships in perth when you're in kalgoorlie yeah uh and you know you're staying in a in a hall uh you know at agricola which i did my first year in cal and there's one common phone for the whole hall. So yeah, all right, of the conversations yeah. that you have are just public on this uh, on this yeah. phone in the middle of the hall with people walking past you and, and literally doing like stuff. an American frat movie. Like <laughs> uh, not literally, um, but yeah, it, it was fun, right? Like, and yeah. we, you know, you're a bunch of you know, we were 18 at the time when we first moved out there. Yeah, yeah. So a bunch of 18 year old old uh, boys and girls, mostly boys. Uh, moving out to a to a strange town and and all the hijinks that that go on beyond that was uh, well, it was just fun. You know? oh, it was just a good part of life. Sure, it was. Who were the uh, you can name drop here? Who were some of the folk you went to was and with that are in and around the industry today? Um, look, there's there's quite a few. So uh, look, my my closest mate out there, um, who I met on my first day at Wasm, because we I sat down next to him was is a guy called Craig Barendrecht. Uh Craig's the ops manager for. Uh, Tanzania and Saudi Arabia for burn cut offshore yeah, right, right now, yeah. and um, just a cracking bloke. And uh, we still go to uh, Freo games together now, yeah. and um, our kids are basically cousins. So it's uh, you know that's been good. Um, another close mate of mine is a guy called Jamie Karate, who uh, is actually uh, running tech services for a, a big open pit company in Kazakhstan at the moment. So he lives in in Kaz and comes and visits us every every year for a for a bit and um yeah look we got into a into a bit of strife we had a few young blokes that we used to hang around with so uh you know christian price who's running a company called uh res group or resources and energy group is now a ceo and uh and having a crack which is which is yep. good to see uh and then you know there was a a younger crew two years below me uh there was a, a bloke we used to call shifty aka uh Brendan Parker, who <laughs> runs Amps now. So uh, I gather that's not because he was doing shift bossing on the side or anything. It was no, no, just Shifty <laughs> was a nickname that fit uh, BJ back in those days. So he uh, was just like a uh, like a little energetic Jack Russell uh, yeah. <laughs> that used to just run around causing mischief everywhere. And, uh, and uh, but no, and look, I'm still close mates with BJ today yeah. as well. Um, but look, other guys. I mean, we're starting to see a few guys from from my era pop up in in bigger companies around. So. Uh, a guy called Mark Glazebrook, who is the mining manager up at Granny Smith, and, and by all accounts doing a, doing an awesome job up there. Yep. Uh, Gavin Mann, who's at Agnew, he was yep. my year at at, at Wasm, he's mining manager up there now. Yep. Um, guy called Dave Thornton, who uh, is now in. I mean, I'm just chatting to him online last week. He's moving to Vancouver uh, as a part of that big new Newmont Gold Corp transaction, and is going to be looking to instill a few Australian ways of mining into the old gold court portfolio. Yep. Um, so, yeah, look, I think there's a few things, uh, a few people from my era that are starting to, to pop up and, and show their faces around. Yeah, and, yep. and it's good now, like you go to a diggers and dealers and, and you're bumping into people that, you know, you might have used to play rugby with in, in Kalgoorlie or, uh, you know, got on the beers with quite a bit there. And, um, yep. you know, it's like you've seen them yesterday who just a bit, older fatter and balder than we were back in those days yeah. but you know you, you still feel young at heart right mate oh but that's it but that's the best thing you look at uh 
all the people that you know the big names on the on the corporate websites and everything and i've said it so many times before as you said you just everyone's just a normal bloke still catching up for a beer and like it's everyone's just come from such humble beginnings to get to where they are but that's a great thing of just hearing how normal everyone still is yeah. even though the shirts and ties did you you still got a bit to do with the uni at all yeah i do so um look i run the the graduate program here which we're probably get into a bit more in the, oh, special in the next episode, episode coming up special yeah. episode uh but um look it's always good to get back but the the tuesday night of diggers and dealers uh hopefully i'm not letting any too big a trade secrets out here but um on the tuesday night at diggers they have the was alumni and women in mining function at yep. the mcdonald hall so the hall that's sort of attached to the not the Macus, university the in Kalgoorlie. yeah right yeah, yeah. not at Macus, man <laughs> no. um so that's one of that's the best attended event at Diggers, apart from the the closing dinner, um, the the women in mining event, and yep. um, that's been tied up with the Wasm alumni event for for a n- number of years now, and had some awesome you know guest speakers there, and um, and it's always it's always great. But after that, what the alumni tend to do is uh, go out the back to the old social club, so the bar that is on campus that yep. is run by students um, will. You know, encourage one of our suppliers to put a few dollars over the bar, or uh, maybe even you know dust the cobwebs off our credit card and uh, <laughs> and put it over there, and just stay in the in the back bar. It was um uh, yep. until until late at night, just playing pool and hanging out with boat, the boat, students. Do the boat races get a run? No, nah, the no, old alumni that. versus the current. That'd be an idea for next year, maybe. Yeah. There you go. Mate. You can't promote that. Yeah, I'm sure. Not promoted by me, but you can talk to the students and see if they. Yeah. Can, uh, I'm sure they'll promote as long as there's free bar. challenges. <laughs> yeah. But no, and you know we have at that. Uh, I didn't lose any this year, but mate, we've lost grad jobs, vac, jo- vac jobs over games of pool on the pool table with the Wasm students, right? So you think this? If you beat us in this game, you can have any vac job that you like within our company. <laughs> And uh, I've got I've got really good graduates out of that. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I think <laughs> Stewie Tonkin once lost a grad job to a to a guy in an arm wrestle. <laughs> but look, it, it's it's yeah, unique, right? So yeah. th- this connection between industry and the school of mines is a unique thing, yeah, and the yeah. fact that you know we can go out there and have this fun with the with the guys and girls out there. You get yeah. to know them while they're students, and um, you know, not just through vac work, not just through whatever, but you know when a year finishes of uh, a graduate year comes out at the School of Mines, we'll already have relationships whether they've worked at Northern Star or not. Yep. We'll have had a game of pool or we'll have had a beer or had a chat at the social club or something yep. um, with everyone. So it's yeah. a, it's good. I'll look forward to the look forward to going into that in much further depth after this. We're going to do, as I said, we're going to do a special. Stralo's got a little his little pet project is the nurturing of graduates. I guess is the most uh, layman's way to say it. So we're going to do a dedicated graduate episode, and uh, it's going to be. Uh, I'll, getting very excited after hearing some of these stories good one, teaser, that's Maddie. one good thing teaser. that old unsw over east it definitely lacked i think was that real alumni and it mostly because it was a uh, new south wales isn't as big of a mining area as western australia there's a lot of coal but if you're interested in underground there's very limited sort of things whereas as you said there's so much so much concentration of mining in WA, yeah. so you get these. They're given such great opportunities. So I, I yeah, and look, do appreciate you can even that. see you can even see a difference in you know the guys coming through UWA and the guys coming through Wasm in previous years in terms of the amount of interaction they'd have with yep. people um, in the industry. 
Yep. And the the UWA, OzIMM and, and other people within there now, you know, a few of the UWA graduates are starting to come out and have a few years of experience now. That engagement back with that that UWA uh, student base is something that that's that's been a key, and we're seeing a lot of those guys come out and um, basically got had some really good grades come out of UWA. Yeah, yeah, cool. We're so, stepping on stepping on the next episode, <laughs> Matty. Come on, mate. <laughs> now, when you when you did graduate, because like God, if someone's listened to this first half hour, they wouldn't even know what you do if they don't know you. But, oh uh, yeah, we'll get go. into that. Hold on, and you will find out. What uh, when you when you graduated. Uh, you're short. You're short to take yourself back to that point. Where you, what were your aspirations? Did you have a? Did you see yourself sitting in a corporate chair now, or did you? Were you pretty uh, pretty modest with where you were going to head with it all? What were your goals? Well, I, I think I shared goals with probably eighty percent of the graduates that you see come out now. Like my my literal goal, it was written on my CV when I first came out of uni, was to get my first class ticket. Yep, that was yep. it. Yep. So I had a, I had a plan. I just wanted to get some experience, get my first class ticket, and see where I went from there. And I didn't pretend to know enough about the industry yep. um, when I came out to to know where I wanted to be. I didn't even know the corporate world existed, yep. you know. Um, but I'd done a bit of work uh, in open pits and underground through that sort of uh, um, you know my uni days and just yep. just straight out of out of uni. And I knew I wanted to go underground. Like underground was an environment that I was that I was super keen on. Yeah. So uh, yeah, look, that was it. Go underground and get my first class ticket. That yep. was that was it. What was your thoughts on? Because you've been a very loyal uh, companion of Northern Star, one of the early early onboarders. Did you did you see you did you have that as a, a quality from the start? You said I'm going to be pretty loyal to I'm going to progress through one company, or did you see yourself hopping around, or you just honestly did not know? I didn't know. I, you know, the company I did my grad time for, um, I was there for just under three and a half years. Yeah. So that was a good stint. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, I wasn't tied to any one company or anything. Like, uh, my whole view of the world is that, you know, growth and recognition are, are what's important, right? So yeah. if I'm putting in the hard work and I'm, I'm committing to something, whether it's a company or, or a project or, or whatever. You want to get the, you know, you want to get the opportunities from doing the extra work and the progression and everything from it. You know, you don't want to skip any steps along the way because it yeah. just leaves holes in your knowledge base as, as you get a bit um, a bit further down the road and you can't get that back. But to to just keep get, having that growth come through and keep doing it, and whether that challenge existed in one role. Then you stick with it, and whether that, and if that didn't exist, or there was, or you didn't feel like you were getting that recognition, um, and you know, you know, more tasks to do, more things to do. That's when you sort of decide to move on, and yep. um, yeah. So look, I had an awesome time. I got on my underground time, and and did that all. I was just, uh, I was at New Holland, just down the road oh, from yeah, where yeah. you are now. Yeah. Uh, when I wanted to do my underground time. Oh was, yeah, because that was that's where yourself and Jonesy were. Yeah, I, I dropped Lawlers, you. Yeah. I dropped your names to some of the guys because some of the guys have been there like 11, 12 years, and they they yeah. worked with yourself and Jonesy that are. Uh, it's more than eleven or twelve years ago, mate. I left there thirteen oh, one and a half of the years was ago. Fifteen, yeah. I think he was fifteen years or something. He just, I think he just crossed over his. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they're still on the gravy train. There, oh mate, so. they'd still be, they'd still have the same bloody gear running that we had back in those days too. I imagine. <laughs> and what? 
Oh, bloody. Uh, so I've actually got to try. I'm trying to refer to the questions, but we're going to get to before we go to uh, your underground manager time and everything at Paulson's. Yeah, we always bring you back down to the to the human level and okay. talk about underground time. Yep. And you can either dob yourself in or dob someone else in here, but you'd have to have a couple of uh, sort of funny engineering stories from your underground time. When I say engineering, like engineering sort of behaviours that may have may or may have not occurred during your underground time. How'd you go, how'd you go underground time? Or was it just a flawless um, one-year continuous effort? Darren. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was <laughs> flawless and I was the perfect employee and never did anything wrong, Matty. Um, no, look, uh, I was put on a on an awesome crew uh, underground at, at Lawler's, as I said. Um, and in fact, two guys from my crew, like the guys that I was actually on crew with constantly, you know, we worked two and one. So, we worked pretty close to, with each other for for that year uh one of them now who started off as the the bogger operator and then moved on to the single boom jumbo and then and then onto the jumbo while i was there a guy called jim rumsley uh jimbo is now the mine foreman for burn cut at jundee ah, which okay. we have yep. right so i go yep. up to jundee and see and see jimmy up there and um you know you could just imagine if i was you know a wanker or I, you know you talk down to those guys who act like a like a prick to everybody back in those days mm. That stuff It'd comes back to you, right? right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, can, it can bite you. So, um, look, having good guys like like Jim on the crew, and there's another guy called Webby who um, runs Web Drill. So he's got his own diamond drilling company now. He's out. He's out there having a crack. Yeah. Um, he was actually the diamond driller on my crew as well. So uh, I'm actually, you know, thankful that that I uh, had such a good time with those guys, and we ended up, you know, being you know, good friends and, and to see them, you know, further down in our careers, you know, do, doing well is uh, is positive. But um, I can tell you one story that's- uh, <laughs> I, was, I thought this was a massive deflection. No, no, like, no. Oh, he's coming through with one. I'll, I'll come through with one, right? <laughs> um, so, my old shift boss uh, is a guy called Jackie Bock, right? Jackie is a, um, you know, he's an ex-air legger. Uh, he's now mine foreman for evolution at, at Mungari and Cal. So we had a good catch up at Diggers this year with uh, with Jackie. It's you know, great to see him. But remember when I was doing my charge up time, we were mining down in the 80 series at Lawler's and we'd fired out the the whole access. So we had big, massive stoke void and big hanging wall exposure. Yep. Um, we're down there. I was on night shift um, and I was charged in with this guy called Jamie Salt. And we were we were called up to I think it was the eighty seven level access, and um, there was a big giant bundy that had fallen off the backs that was just sitting in the access, just blocking access to to everything. It was probably about five meters out past the brow. And Jackie's like, "Can you boys get a couple of you know anfo bags on a stick, get it under it, and um, and try and blow the rock up?" I we went, "Okay, sure." So we're trying to make, you know, we're making these contraptions to, to get yeah. some bomb underneath it. And in the end, um, we just got a big, like, bulker bag of Ampho, <laughs> pushed that out underneath. Not like a, not a full bulker, oh, an empty bulker. Kilo no, no, you wouldn't be able to. So we pushed that out so it was sort of wedged under the rock, yep. put some debts in it, and then just started pumping Ampho into it. Yep. And Salty's like, Oh, we got enough. I'm like, oh, it's a pretty big rock. Like it was the size of a of a living room, right? It was like the size of the, of the office that we're yeah, sitting right. in now. But it was yeah. this giant, like, really solid looking looking bundy. And um, well, I'm like, nah, a little bit more, Jamie. A little bit more. A little bit more. 
and we pulled it out. Uh, Jackie's come down and see and and seen us, and he's gone. Um, he goes, "How's it going to go, Stralo?" And I said, "It'll go bang, but for all the good that it's going to do, I might as well run up and fucking kick it, you know?" Because <laughs> and he goes, "Okay, no worries." Uh, I remember firing it because um, we were firing off uh, off the stinger, um, but I was standing in the decline. I was, I was not close to it. I was yeah, I was up the yeah. decline a bit, but I remember pressing the button. And my miner's hat just got blown <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> She's gone bang all right. Uh, so, I went up top. I told, I told Jackie. Um, he had a bit, of a bit of a chuckle. And then, you know, I went home, had a sleep, got into work, you know, for the next shift. So, that night, I got, uh, I got called into the foreman's office. You know, come on. Stralo, come into the foreman's office. We're going to have a chat to you. Um, and we sat down across the table, like the um, the mine foreman, Jackie. And he's like, uh, "Do you know why you're here, mate?" And I'm like, "Not really." And Jackie goes, "You must have one hell of a fucking boot on you, mate, because we'd blown up the vent wall that was just around the corner." Cut oh, really? <laughs> probably a hundred kilos of unconfined explosives. So, so the first thing we had to do that night was. Uh, you know, get out in the IT and put up a little parachute over the blown out uh, <laughs> vent wall that was around the corner as penance for uh, oh. for blowing it up. And you know what? The rock was in like the biggest piece of that rock would have been the size of a fucking football, <laughs> mate. We blew job. the shit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious! What a, they would have loved charging with you because you would have done half the besides the top perimeter. You would have got most of it from the ground <laughs> yourself, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, but- yeah. Maybe for context to people that haven't met me, I am very tall. <laughs> Um, but uh that was the hard thing though like because when you're on service crew right and you've got two people in the basket yeah yeah fucking annoying because you might have all right for you but annoying for them because they can't get high well they can't get higher or their head or you're up the front of the basket like trying to trying to hang something or or do something and then they're up the back trying to adjust it to their height and you end up getting your head smacked up against the backs or, <laughs> uh, or, or knocked on something. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Nice. Well, we'll have a quick bro, the Strala. Next, I want to get into um, – we'll skip forward to well, just the Paulson's journey and the Northern Star journey okay. and the multiple roles you had, had there and uh, then we'll, and we'll go into your corporate life. We'll have a quick brother for two secs. Righto. We're back. Strala. Oh, Paulson's like if there was like a head you'd want to put on like the face of Paulson's it'd be yours mate like you're just the the, the heart and soul of that joint because you you're actually there before Northern Star bought the mine correct your words not mine Maddie but um yeah this I, is what it's all about <laughs> mate I'm your biggest fan today <laughs> um yeah so I did so look I I was traveling overseas didn't have a job uh, I'd done a bit of tunneling work over in London like I was basically shift bossing. Um, underground tunneling crews there uh, and uh, then with a couple of wasm mates we bought a camper van and we're driving a camper van around europe for four months and um i think i was in a caravan park in germany and i was down to like a grand <laughs> in my bloody bank account i had a ticket home and i emailed jonesy and said oh mate what are you up to and he goes oh i'm at this mine called paulson's uh you ever heard of it I'm like, no not really Either I need a bit of a bit of help for about three months. Any chance that you're yeah, right. you're able to yeah. to come give us he, a Because he was a hand. contracting there, he's contracting himself out. No, he was yeah. underground manager there at the time. Yeah, I think so. Um, like I got there, and yeah, man, it needed some work. Like it yeah. needed a lot of work, but it was 
just sort of right place, right time, right crew. Like I, I love working with Jonesy. Jonesy mm. uh, and I had worked together during the Lawler's days. And, um, you know, there was a there was a lot of improvements to be made to, to how that mine was running and how that mine was working. So um, I, yeah, just got sunk my teeth into it. And we basically yeah. created all the whole tech services, processes, procedures, everything from from the ground floor up and the infamous um, life of mine Excel spreadsheet. That was was that a Jonesy creation? That was oh, mate, that was a Frankenstein that creation. <laughs> but uh yeah. It worked out well, mate. Oh, we we ran off never, out. Never, I was too young to understand it, but <laughs> I appreciate now. I appreciate the the technical the technicality of it and how it would have functioned. I, yeah, I well, I mean, I'd love to go back and look at it now. That, that was a transitioning time when we were going from uh, using Excel and and doing things a bit manually to to doing things on the computer. Like yep. you won't go to a mine now, or you shouldn't go to a mine now where they don't have a schedule that's in a not in a Deswick or. Or EPS EPS, or or IGAN or whatever you whatever you use, Um, we just found that too clunky back in the day. So we do a lot of the mind planning and life of mind planning on on Excel and found that 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 was quite intuitive and that worked. And um, for a simple mind like Paulson, it it worked. Just top simple top down sort of yeah yeah very simple vein retreat mind. Yeah, did you did you acknowledge the potential early on looking back, or you just thought it was just another mind? Of Paul's. Well, again, I mean, I was pretty pretty early in my career and and all that. Then we knew it was a good ore body. It was it was high grade. It, it was, yeah. um, but then you know we hit a transitional zone of the ore body, and Intrepid being a smaller company that it was back in those days, you know, it was trying to find you know where the extension was and and what was going on beyond it. But they had a big mine over in Indonesia that they wanted to build. And the corporate focus of the company was on this mine in Indonesia. Yeah. So um, little old Paulsons just didn't get the the care and attention that um, you know compared to this this bigger bigger prize. Yeah. And um, yeah, the, the decision was made to to divest it, and yep. that's when Northern Star came on the scene. And mm. you know, I was the underground manager when Northern Star turned up, and I remember. So were you underground manager for Intrepid? Yes. Before Northern Star, yep. Yeah, yep. correct. So um, then when, when Northern Star turned up, I mean, we literally had to look up who the company was when mm. they when they were announced to have signed the deal to buy it. Bill who? Well, yeah, yeah, Bill who? Who's that guy? <laughs> no, I, I, I knew him and I knew the name yep. from, you know, the Wasm Circles yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, Barminko was our contractor there. So, so he was a known sort of entity uh, back then, but- but yeah, you know, when Northern Star took over Paulson's, it was mid twenty ten, so sort of nine and a half years ago, yeah. or the best part of. Um, there was literally three people in the corporate office, you know, so it, it wasn't a, a big, you know, well sort of. And Bill was two of them. Wasn't he? <laughs> he, was he was running six, H- he was running HR them, or something as well. He was side, yeah, yeah. But that that was a. That was really fun for us, right? Because we, you know, we were our own little site with our own little culture up there. We had, you know, Northern Star, this sort of young, keen company come in there, like the the risk appetite, the care and attention that we got, you know, going from a company where you weren't the core asset to being, you know, the company lived or died on your performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, the good people that were around that were willing to, to come in and have a crack and help make a success of it was- uh, yeah, it was chalk and cheese, you know, and, and really positive. Yeah, how how old were you? <coughs> underground manager, pretty oh. pretty young. Yeah, yeah, I was 
So I was a UGM before I was 30, yeah. I think. Yeah, definitely. So, And then that progressed on to your RM, re- resident manager at, um, what was it, 32 or something? Yeah, GM at 32 yeah. at Paulson. So, um, yeah, look, it was a good little, good little site. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I knew the people, knew the knew how it all operated and mm. um, knew Northern Star c- corporately as well. I think that's sort of your key your key thing as a, as a GM or, or when you're running a site, a department, you know, anything is a key part of is to understand how you fit into the bigger picture yep. and then to try and, you know, adjust what you're doing or influence what you're doing to – you know, feed and promote and to enhance that that bigger picture is that sort of key thing that you need to do in, in any type of leadership role. So it just kind yeah. of helped that, you know, I had the history with the site. Um, you know, I was there pretty much for the inauguration of the of the company. I'd done a, a stint in corporate doing sort of projects and, and BD and anything that sort of needed doing. And then, um, yeah, got tapped on the shoulder to go back to site and, yeah. and, and be the GM there, which was... Mm. Yeah, awesome. Really good but opportunity. You look at like just from a twenty-eight-year-old, just to take on so much responsibility, and like you, you're making the big decisions on a mine site around highly experienced underground miners that are a lot of years, lot of years in the game. Did you, did you have a, did you have a natural knack, confidence? I guess a bit of a swagger for it, or did you, did you ever feel out of your depth early on? Um, look, there's always the you know you read a bit about thing called imposter syndrome, you know, where you think, you know, a lot of people when they, they get a role, they think, oh, you know, I'm I'm not qualified for this. I don't yeah. know what to do. And and that scares some people. Whereas a lot of the time, I mean, that's that's just opportunity, right? Mm. Like you, you go in there and you be honest and you be you communicate with the people around you to say, look, um, you know this part better than me. Let's sit down, put our heads together, and try and work out what the best solution yeah. is. And you've got to know how to ask the right questions, how to lean on people for the right experience, how to how to bring a team together to to try and um, come up with the right solutions. I think that's that's something that's always sort of been a strength of mine. So, so I guess acknowledging five heads is better than your one. Yeah, that, that's yeah. right. So, so building that team, which. Um, you know, you're always going to be smarter as a collective than you are as a as an individual. Yeah. Um. You know, if you're if you're in a leadership position, you've got a good collective behind you. You're called on to you know break the tiebreakers or make the you know the odd decision every now and then. But a lot of times you can you can come up with a a really good solution as a collective. So you sort of have your you know your core um you know your mining manager, your geology manager, your processing manager, your admin manager, all, all that sort of thing who are you know your key lieutenants. Um, they're the people that you should be be leaning on to to come up with the best solution. And your job is just as a you know collaborator and as as someone that that comes in and, and knows to ask the right the right questions. But yeah, the, the big thing with that is to understand what the bigger picture is. So yeah. knowing what the um, you know what the corporate outlook is or anything. And and you know I tend to on my breaks I'd spend at least a day during the break in the corporate office. Yep. because having that connection to what's going on at a corporate level and what we're needing to achieve and what the concerns were there that allows you to go and you know influence to um, to get good outcomes from, from your site rather than just operating in a little silo and yep. corporate being your enemy mm. um, and that could be like you know operating in a silo of being your underground crew and your other crew is your enemy or your engineering team 
and the geology team's your enemy, like that's just not how you you create good organizations and good culture, right? Yeah. You've got to do it by understanding how what everyone's contribution is, understanding the effect of your actions on any handovers of tasks or or handovers of things to another, um, you know, department or area. And once you have all those little things done all the way through, that that's when you when you can be you know really good and really positive mm. and because our underground managers it's it's an all-in position <laughs> it, it looks like like get, you know it'll get advertised as an eight and six position but if you just if you just treat being an underground manager as an eight and six role you i guess you're not the 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 best ones or the the i guess that you see the real dedicated ones are in as you said you're in the corporate office you're recruiting you're you, Essentially, the underground managers put their heart and soul into the operation. If yeah, you, you want to, I get, I guess, and then that's where that the payoff is later on is like exhibit A yourself getting to going down that corporate path. But it's it, you really have to go above and beyond for that role. I think you do, and I mean, you have those sort of more transactional roles where you know, um, from a mining engineer perspective, you might be. You know, doing production or ventilation or um, even planning, you'll have a crossmate that you know you have your hand over day, give them a high five. You go to the airport and fly out, and mm. maybe you'll get one conversation during your break that sort of says, "Hey, you know, I've just picked up one of your designs. What were you thinking when you, did, you know, what was your thought process that went into this? Yep. Okay, that was helpful. Now I know where you've come from and and keep going. Yeah, uh, you know, when you're a, an underground manager, if you're fifoing. Uh, you want to have a good alternate yep. uh, underground manager. That you know, that's that's a key role to have because they're the ones that have to look after the mine when you're not mm -hmm. there. And you might get a few more calls of you know, oh, and it's usually uh, the contractor's in my office. He told me that you you told him he was allowed yeah. to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, he said, oh, you know. You're going to open up three by headings on that good. level. <laughs> Charlie said it was all good. I'm like, ah, oh, mate, no, no, no. So we tend to. One of the simple uh, sort of things that we did there at the UGM level was just create a little diary. So a little diary that sat yeah. on the underground manager's desk, which is done you, on OneNote these days. But like yeah, exactly. Back then it was yeah. But back then, <laughs> like we just literally had a manual diary, and if we'd had a conversation, made a decision, or made a decision not to do something, mm. me or my crossmate would just write it in the diary and do that. Yep. And then when the contractor came in and said, Australo said this, yeah. they go, well, what day was that? Tuesday. Open up Tuesday. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, it says that you're not allowed to do yeah. it, mate. Fuck off out of my office. <laughs> oh, I could remember. I could just picture Beetle Bailey doing that while you're at Paulson's too. Um, yeah. So, look, there is that. Um, when you're a GM, that's when you, it becomes 24-7. Yeah. You know? Or if you're, a, if you're an underground manager in a residential town, like that's when, you know, something fucks up on a weekend. Yeah, you're, well, you're, you're there, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. you're There's accountable. No There's no alternate. Yeah. There's nothing. Um, and it's not just a phone call to say, "Hey, this happened," and you know, you sort of talk through it, um, which sort of did happen a few times. Yep. Um, there's, yeah, and look, you also want your alternate to deal with stuff because. Mm. They're going to be your future underground managers, and they're going to be. The That's a form of leadership in itself. Like how to how to deal with like you could be a, I get a real. I think the word is like, like just a real controlling underground oh, manager them, yeah. over your alternate. I think like a I guess bureaucratic 
in in some oh, there's sense. some that just say, look, this is the plan that you yeah. will follow while I'm out. You will not deviate yeah. from this plan. If you deviate from it without telling me you're in trouble, yeah. whereas there is the bigger way to do that sort of stuff. Say, this is what we're trying to achieve in the context of the week's production, the month's yeah. production, the year's, the quarter, the year, uh, and the decisions that you make while you're on your on your shift should feed into all that stuff. So, but but then to let them go out and actually give them a bit of rope to to do mm. it with, because yeah. if you want them to be a good underground manager in the future, they they have to start making some some decisions. And yeah. you know, if you're not training up good people below you, and a promotion opportunity for you comes around. If you don't have that person that's ready to yeah. step into your shoes, then you're not going to get that that promotion opportunity. So yeah, exactly, it does it does you better. It does everyone better if you don't just hold on to that knowledge and hold on to that control, but actually develop people and let them let them do stuff. And I think mm. you're, you're better off if you if you do things that way. Um, but I've come across many many people, which I'm sure you have as well, yeah, that yeah. that try to keep people dumb because they see them as threats. And the and the, but the mindset's just go on these uh, standstills because they're like we can't do anything because big boss isn't in or we've got to wait for him to like instead of like the the statutory ticket holder at the time being able to make a decision keep the operation going yeah um, well i mean you're paying a lot of money to have that person on site yeah, and yeah. You, you pay people to make decisions like that is what you fundamentally do in any leadership position if you're yeah. in a leadership position your job is to make decisions yep otherwise you could train a monkey to do it right mm, exactly and going underground manager to rm in the one site Yep. How'd you go taking your, I guess, taking the hands off a bit in terms of, uh, well, it sounds like the way you were as an underground manager, you weren't a controlling leader already. So that probably was ball was in your court, ball was in your court a bit there. But going to GM and sort of removing yourself from the uh, controlling the opera, the underground activities as much and looking at the broader picture, how'd you go there? Yeah, look, I think, uh, I think it was Jonesy that gave me some good advice with that one, which was, you know, this is an opportunity when you go into that that GM role. You know mining, so you should spend the least of your time on the mining stuff because you can yep. pick that up pretty quickly. You know, your bullshitometer if the underground manager or the mining department's trying to tell you uh, tell your fibs <laughs> is is right up there, yep. right? Um, <laughs> you know, you can go for that trip underground, or or you can you know go spend some time with the engineers and you and you kind of understand what's going on. So that should be the place that you spend spend the least amount of time. Where you should spend the most amount of time is in the other areas that you're trying to learn. So, you know, focusing more on geology, focusing more on processing, um, and then all that administration side of things. You know, dealing with all the external stakeholders, dealing with corporate and all that. Um, that's what's going to make you a good professional, right? Yep. So, um, you know, we had an underground manager. That was his job. So, my job's not to step on his toes and, and be controlling. Mm. It's to is to challenge him. Is to challenge everybody and everything that they do. You know, ask the right questions and and uh, and make sure that you know the right processes are being followed and and all that. But um, but yeah, look, just an awesome opportunity to learn more about the processing plant, the power yeah. station, and the- that because that's a that just would have been like Chinese to you at the start, wouldn't it? Like oh, you got to walk over there every now again. and then, and yeah. um, you know, I got on really well with the processing manager there, uh, and. You know, if we were talking about processing, I used to make him have meetings with me, not in the office, but up on top of the cyclone tower. So, yeah, we yeah. walk up to the top of the cyclone tower and I'd yeah. be like, okay, 
you can now tell me about what's going on in the plant, but you can now physically point to the bits that yeah, we're yep. talking about and where the issues are and the processes that are going on. Yep. Um, it was good for me because I enjoyed the opportunity to not be chained to a computer or chained to a seat in the mm. office, but um, you know, to walk over the the infrastructure and actually see what's going on is uh was pretty cool you know well i think there's a, isn't there like a technical term for that now you hear a lot of companies talking about the thing is a visual leadership like actual bosses being out in the field and being seen to be out present in the field and interacting with the workers like that like passively promotes you yeah. safer productive work practices because you're out there instead of just sitting in your office and yeah absolutely like we used to track every day we'd have uh one manager from a a different department go and visit a completely separate department and just go in there and have a talk to people about you know tell me about the tasks that you're doing tell me about the what you know what are the most uh you know the biggest safety issues within the workshop just explain yeah. that to you know if you've got a a processing guy that you take to a courtyard right that they don't spend any time there they, they might say you know tell me about what your big hazards are here and yeah. then they get that explained by the person on the ground that shows the person on the ground that you care, but it also increases the knowledge of the person that's looking and they can take that back to the, to their workplace. Mm. So, But it, it, you'd go from, you go into that, right, as you said, like, that's where the real bloody work started at the JM level because you've got you've got every department coming to you with like, we want this, we, we need this, we need this improved. And it's just, as you said, you're in control of like i guess the site delegate like distributing the site budget for all this stuff and trying to it's a, it'd be a massive balancing act wouldn't it to try and oh, yeah. keep everyone happy to some extent well maddie you're never going to keep everyone happy yeah. all the time mate so yeah. the and that's where the communication piece comes into it too because if you're going to tell someone no or no you can't do this you don't yeah. just say no because i said so you you explain why and you try and explain the reasoning and the um and the uh, and, and the logic behind all the decisions that you're making, yep. Uh, and then that is, um, and then they, they're more accept. They might not agree with you, but they can accept it mm. um, as long as they know what the what the thought process, or at least that yep. there was a thought process that that went in behind it. You know, yeah. And what what did you like better, underground manager or general manager while at Paulson's, or not even comparable? <sighs> Jeez, question without notice. Uh, oh, there's shitloads of them coming <laughs> up, mate. <laughs> Look, uh, they're just different roles, right? Like I, I actually enjoyed every role that that I've had through through the journey, and I think part of that is having you know really good people and and seeing development of good people around me while I while I was there. You know, when I was when I was underground manager, I had some some cracking young mining engineers there that um, mine is fun, <laughs> uh, not including yourself, maybe. Um, that we um that we you know i've seen develop and, and have now well, timmy mccambridge, you know, timmy McCambridge being yeah. one who's a yeah. who's an underground manager under or he's a mining manager Mine, now, yeah, yeah. um at northern star but yeah. you know i hired timmy when he was uh you know he, he just worked at telfer for two years so he was a pretty pretty green young fella there and he's bludgeoned durries off me at the pub every night he was <sighs> yeah don't say that mate his missus might listen <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, despite being a West Coast Eagles supporter, he's found his way uh, way through the uh, through the company. But no, he's he's a good lad, Timmy, and, and having yeah. that. But then you know, even as a general manager, you know, like I, I had a really good rapport and really good relationship with all all the line managers and all the people in it. It gives you an opportunity to go and meet different people within the industry. So you know, underground manager, you're dealing with 
you know, engineers, geos, underground miners, surveyors and that. When you're at the GM level, you're dealing with corporates and you're dealing with, um, with you know, the whole processing crews and, um, you know, whole, all, all those surface sort of support crews and, and infrastructure and everything that you, that you didn't have that opportunity yeah. uh, to do. So, um, look, mate, I've just... I just enjoy roles where you're learning something. You know, you're yeah. learning something every day, and you're, and you're growing that knowledge base. So I did that as a UGM, and I did that as a GM, and I mm. do that in the role that I'm in now. So because you were, uh, there's fun. Would there would be not many moments or any if at all where you would have felt style in your career because you've just had, you, as you said, you've gone from that underground manager GM. You're just continually starting new things and we're going to get into i guess your corporate lifestyle after this but you've um it would have been it's a very stimulated career to date i would assume yeah it's been fun maddie but um you know it's been a lot of a lot of hard work that's gone into it i, yeah. I think a lot of uh you know you get given opportunities but um the way you look at it it's just perform or die right yeah. you just have to if you don't get in have a crack mm. uh, and um and get results right then somebody else will get the opportunity so yep. um you know we we've we've had a lot of fun here and and being in a growth company you know a company that's gone from you know a 10 million dollar market cap to a you know seven billion dollar market cap mm. uh and being there for that whole journey is just bloody amazing right yeah. so and like the stuff you would have implemented over your over your tenure like as you said like just being at the the ground floor at Paulson's to start like just the initial tech services layout for oh, the, the first mine to what the, I guess the corporate initiatives and all that stuff that, that would be going on at the moment that you've been at the forefront of uh, implementing it. Just a- yeah. So a, look, it's a funny story because uh, we, a lot of the stuff that we developed at Paulson's in that first couple of years under Northern Star, like how we do our daily reporting and, and monitor it, you know, the core values of the company, um, sort of what our what our operating model was, yeah. um, you know, NSMS with the underground. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. stuff was all developed at Paulson's. Yeah. In um, you know, on that that small little site up in the Pilbara, and that now those, those processes, those procedures, those values, um, those operating methods is now what we use across Jundee, Kalgoorlie, yeah. uh, and now Pogo, yeah, uh, and Plutonic in the past. And to see that grow out of that that sort of small microcosm that was back in those days, it, it's you know it's really pleasing to see. It'll pop up every now and then you, that you see something. Oh, that's cool! I remember implementing that uh, yeah. back in the day. I've still um, got the shirt at home, the Northern Star inaugural mining crew, the for the underground, the blue and red collectors item. That one, mate. It is fine. It's cool. I think it's. But yeah, I, I, I do remember flex. though the Kalgoorlie guys when we did the integration at Kalgoorlie. Um, that was sort of the first big site that we. That we were transitioning from, you know, we bought it off Barrack and we were transitioning to Northern Star. Saying, look, at Paulson's, this is the way we've done it and this is what yeah. works and we do it. And there was a few people on site that were going, oh, the Northern Star people here, they say, this one time at Paulson's? <laughs> <laughs> this one time at Paulson's? They did this? Oh, right. <laughs> Oh, on that note, <laughs> we'll have a quick break. That's legendary. Uh, right, next. Daz, I want to get it. We'll go into post Paulson's. Are there? God, that's a bloody journey in itself. We're gonna we're gonna be here till midnight. But uh, yeah, maybe. I guess the the let me just I'll just see the list. Like these are the roles: like GM Business Development to GM Operations to Chief Development Officer. Mate, there is just some fancy titles there. Then uh, I want to. 
go into what each of those roles were and what sure. they, because I don't know what they bloody mean looking at them. So, uh, and we'll get back to it in a minute. Right, corporate Darren Strahler. That's Hello. um. Did you did you ever envisage you'd be living this lifestyle? The uh, Monday to Friday commute in and out of the in and out of Subiaco, sipping <laughs> sipping on lattes at ten a.m. But um, I'm sure it's not as uh, flash as it seems. I think there's a lot of work that goes on. It, look, it probably wasn't something that I had on the uh, on the radar as as a young bloke, but. Um, as I said, like the focus has always been on just finding challenging roles and, and keeping to grow. And um, I, you know, the guys that I work with, you know, I've, I've worked for either Bill Beeman or, or Stewie Tonkin for the past sort of eight and a half, sorry, nine and a half years, right? And they're just just awesome characters um, that also believe in development of people, right? Yep. And, and I think that's probably one of the things that you know my current role and my current career is a, is a testament to. It's it's those blokes taking a chance on, you know, maybe a young guy that mm. you could get someone in externally that you didn't know or that might have a bit more experience doing something or, um, you know, you can you can bring in, uh, you know, someone else that, that you might have worked with in the past or you can you can back a young bloke to, to get in there and be hungry and have a crack and, and those blokes have backed me in over the years yeah. and uh, it's just been my job to, to adapt and try and work out a way to add value, right? Yeah. And how much of it was this progression? Can you break up how much come to you and how much you went and got in terms of did you did you regularly set goals for yourself, say, right, oh, this year I want to be – this is where I want to get to and nah, I never. go and ask to make it happen? <laughs> um, or it actually the, these things were just offered to you on the way? Um, so, look, things think get offered along the way uh, – as I said, like in a company that runs lean and is growing, there's always going to be work to do. Yep. Uh, no matter what that is, and I mean, I remember back in uh, I think when I was a when I was an underground manager, I started to get a bit interested in the whole financial side of things. So, you know, as you do as a young bloke, I was looking into you know, making money from mortgages or shares yep. or, or whatever you do. Like you've had a few podcasts on it, which have been mm. uh, very- all, all uh, from my own demise, yep. Informative <laughs> and uh, and hilarious, Matty. You can't say I don't <laughs> preach what I like, practice what I preach into. Well, I'm, I'm, this is all from like the do not do this. Yeah, anyway. you've learned the hard way, mate. There yeah. is an easier way to- uh, yeah, yeah. Learning from other people's mistakes is easier than yeah, learning from I'm your glad own, to mate. facilitate everyone. I've got a six-figure <laughs> debt to prove it. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, so, no, look. So, I started <laughs> um, studying when I was- uh, a UGM. Thanks, Beck. I, I did a, uh, a finance course, so a graduate diploma in applied finance. Yep. Um, and it was almost through that that there was an acknowledgement. Oh, he's interested in that side. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should give some give him some opportunities in that side. Um. So my first sort of job post the GM of Paulsons, um, I got a call uh, back in late 2013. And it said, hey, we just bought another mine, Plutonic. We want you to be the integration manager. Jones yeah. is going to be the GM. But what we want you to do is go and just, um, you know, work on the transition, uh, you know, work on making this, the site a Northern Star site. You know, yep. it's, it's a barrack site. They run into barrack procedures and, um, you know, barrack had a lot of, you know, global um, initiatives that they'd put in and, and a lot of stuff that they did. Um, 
which weren't necessarily fit for purpose for that site. So our job was to go through and, and try and make it lean and, and operate well. So yep. um, just after we bought Plutonic, we got Kalgoorlie a month later. So I had the same role at, at Kalgoorlie. So doing the transition there, um, you know, it was even as part of the role was even going around on, on the weekends and putting stickers up over all the barrack logos and all the signs around town and putting <laughs> yeah. a Northern Star sticker over the yeah, top. Right, eh? Yeah, right. But it was about trying to trying to remove the barrack and, and put the Northern Star side on because we're, we have a, you know, we had a unique operating model in a way that, that we wanted to do things. Yeah. Uh, and as a lean team, you know, applying that over, over a big workforce was, um, was a good job. We had also a really good GM there. Uh, a guy called Tony James, who's a sort of industry legend, and, and was a guy that, and he even came and lectured us when I was at when I was yeah, at uni. Yeah, right. Yep. TJ, and um, and it was awesome working with him and um, and setting up that that Kalgoorlie site. Because how long does that take to Northern Star a site? You'd say for Pluton, is it is it a six month project to really make people forget they used to work for Barrick in some way, shape, or form? Uh, so look. It that's a it's hard to answer because changing culture is is hard, right? Yeah. Any in any change, you've got to do all the change up front. So if you say, "Oh, I'm going to change something down down the road and do it," um, what ends up happening is you just get overtaken by what's existing and what happens. Yeah. Like the the change of a of a company or the change of something that's a really great catalyst to, or a good reason to do lots of um, other changes and, and to bring stuff in. So we took that opportunity to try and change change it in that first six weeks. We're like, if you don't change it in that first six weeks, it's just going to be the same. Mm. So, um, yeah, look, brought a lot in. and um, But then that, that process of actually getting people to, you know, get past the, you know, what they, what they believe, you know, go through that whole culture change curve. Uh, that does take a lot more time, but um, what our job was to do, and look, part, part of the job with it is just to go to walk around to people on site and say, hey, what holds you up? What makes your life hard? Yep. And then try and work out whether you could remove that or whether it was there for a reason or, or not. But a lot of these people had worked at other sites or, or other areas and they say, look at this site, I could just do this and it made sense. Uh, but here I'm not allowed to. Yep. And we'd go in and go, okay, can we remove that? Yeah, we can. So yeah. we'd go in, we'd remove it, we'd take it back and say, hey, you said you wanted to remove this, so it's gone. Mm-hmm. Now we go in and, and you get that, build that rapport and then build that that culture of change and then So you get, you're getting people on board by saying, yeah. like, these guys can get shit done. Like when we when we say, and you're you, you passively getting them on board by yeah, actually yeah, yeah. returning the favour and say, right, you asked it, we'll, we'll deliver it. And I mean, you, that takes you on board with with anything that you do. Like you can walk to a mine site and you go and talk to the management and they'll tell you, you know, sometimes what they think or what they think you want to hear. Mm. The the operational people don't lie, mate. <laughs> you know, no, you go no, underground. No, oh, this is fucked usually. <laughs> and you see a jump <laughs> yeah. operator, you go, hey, mate, just tell me what's, what's shit, right? Yeah. Like what it. What are the things that frustrate you on a daily basis about about this place? And if they say, "Oh, you know, I've never got enough headings. They only give me three headings at a time. And yep. if I had five, I'd be able to plan my days a lot better. I do this. You know, you can then go upstairs and say, "Hey, is there a reason why you can't give him five headings?" And sometimes mm. there's there's not. Yeah, they say, "No, no, we just like to keep it at three because that way we can manage it out." And I said, "No, no, no. You give him the five, 
and then it's your job to to keep that up him and um yeah and it makes things more efficient and better yep. and that and then the guys get on side you know and they actually think oh you know i've talked to this bloke um who i'd never seen before but he's made a change and because of what i've said to him and now yep. and then eventually you know you go up to site and you're standing in a muster room and say anyone got any ideas you know what can we do mm. and and you get heaps and you and that's how you make those little incremental improvements yep um because a lot of things aren't these big step changes that are available or easy, but um, you know the way that that you can get you know good results, you know day in day out, week in week out, month in month out, uh, by you know leveraging off incremental improvements. It sounds very similar to the way Kate Somerville was talking about the work she did at South Deep for Goldfields. It's transformational change. It's the, the and it's it sounds exactly the process she's took. Like it's getting the as you said, you're getting up there and saying we're doing this, that's it. You may as well um, talk to the bloody brick wall if you're not if you're not getting everyone on board to actually drive the change for you, which yeah. it sounds like what. what and you've you got to go get your boots dirty, right? You got to mm. get underground. You got to do that. I mean, um, when we go to Pogo now, uh, sort of anyone that goes out there, you might drive outside and get there at seven o'clock at night. You know, the easy thing to do would be to just, you know, have dinner, go to bed, and get up and talk to the crews in the morning. But um, what what anyone sort of does go, okay, I'm out here. I'm not going to be out here for a long time. So uh, they'll go underground. So underground on night shift, first yeah. night out. And just be, let me go talk to people. Take me around. Let me talk to the jumbo ops. Let me talk to the bogger ops. Yeah. I want to know if they're seeing what I'm being told, right? You can yeah. only get so much from a daily report or a monthly report or whatever you get back from a site. But yeah you don't know what's actually being done and what's actually being communicated to people unless you go and talk to them in their workspace, like in their yeah. in their office, which might be, you know, in the cab of a jumbo. How good would have it was it awesome going down underground at Pogo and just getting all these American accents just be, just being part of a totally different culture. The first trip would have just been unreal, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, we we bought it off a um off a big multinational um, company and um, look, these guys haven't known what's hit them, mate. The amount of sort of management time and immersion that there's been in the site yep. uh, since since we've taken over has been, I think is seen as a real positive because we actually communicate with them and tell them, yep. tell them what's going on. But um, well, they're, they're happy to have us around, I think, most of the time. Oh, yeah. As you <laughs> said, you can't please everyone, but I'm sure you you're can't doing, please a, everyone. doing a pretty right. good way. But the, the way Bill... Bill explained it in his episode with joints like Pogo, where you're doing that transformational change. It's like it's, these are the changes we need to put in place to give you mine life. Like it's, a, I guess it's a bit of an ultimatum. Like this is what we've got to do to keep keep yeah, yeah. this asset going. So um, that, that's one of the big things, and we say it on our on, on sites a lot because, well, fundamentally, because it's true, right? Yeah. Is that under the previous owners, this mine would have been closed. Yep. Yeah. And if under the previous owner's management and processes and um, and everything, this mine would be would be closed by now. In some cases, many years ago. The only reason that we've managed to turn the mines around to give them lots of visibility on on uh, on mine life, you know, we're paying people's mortgages, we're putting people's kids through through school, um, yep. all this type of thing by operating these mines. That's only done by changing what what happened and you know. You can not change and, and get the same results or or you can change things and then actually set yourself up for a future. So people get that. And look, not everyone's going to get it. 
And sometimes people are going to go, nah, I'm not on the bus. Yep. And they can they can choose to to not be around anymore. And there's been plenty of people across the journey that that have decided that you know we're not for them, or you know the Northern Star way of doing things is is not for them. Yeah. And that's fine, right? Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Plenty of work out there. Plenty of people. Plenty of work but, yeah, out there. But that you want fine. you want people that want to be there. Like that's you want the- people that want to be there. And if you're developing your people in the right way, then. Hopefully, there's a young, there's a young bloke or a young chiller there that is ready to step up and, and take yep. that role and take that opportunity. Yeah. You know? Now, GM business development. That's a business development thing you hear all the time, but the GM of it. What's the scope of that position that you then took on? Okay. So, uh, post Kalgoorlie, uh, I moved into a corporate role, which was that GM business development. The latte the, role, the sippy latte oh, role. Yeah. It didn't feel like it at the time. <laughs> um, and the first project that I was given, we were in discussions with Newmont about buying Jundee. Yep. And they said, Stralo, you're the point man. Uh, <laughs> you need to go for that. <laughs> do all the legwork and make sure that this, uh, that this, gets, uh, this process goes through. So, yep. um, so, you know, it's liaising with the lawyers, with the bankers, um, we had an investment bank called JP Morgan, who are our advisors on there that I spent a lot yep. of time dealing with those guys. Uh, and essentially we we walked through the purchase of Jundee through yep. to through to signing. Uh, and then I was actually the interim GM of Jundee while we were waiting for our GM to turn up there, did the yep. did the integration transition of Jundee and then was more sort of permanent GM of BD. Yep. And it was kind of similar to the role that I'm doing now, um, which is, you know, working with the the, the sort of C-suite, as you say. Yep. Uh, the suits. Uh, yep. The suits, yep. Um, and trying to work out smart ways to grow the company. So, you'd be doing proposals to buy this asset or do this merger or or, or this investment or, or something like that. And you'd just be, yep. be constantly working, you know, essentially with uh, our CFO at the time. Um, to to try and work out what the what the right growth things were for the company, uh, did that for a while, and then um, you know Bill tapped me on the shoulder. Uh, so Stewie Tonkin was the COO at the time, yep. looking after all the ops, and Stu was the managing director. Sorry, and Bill was the managing director. Um, then they made a change, um, and Stu moved into CEO. Yeah, um, you know, overlooking the business side of things, and Bill moved into the executive chairman role. Because how, how does that work with the? Did your corporate structure change because Bill was a managing director? Now, the I guess you, you've got a CEO where there there was no CEO. Are they, they essentially the similar sort of roles, the managing director and the CEO, just a different focus? So similar ish but um, you know, it's important when you have those two sort of leadership roles. Or look. It's important in any bloody role that you have that you have a you know a set remit so that you know what your what your role is. So set yep. role definition and role clarity. Um, so the way that I sort of you know a bit tongue in cheek, right? <laughs> is is you say there were things that Bill liked about being MD, and there were yep. things that he didn't like. Yep. So he kept the things that he liked, and he gave all the things he didn't like to Stu. <laughs> And Stu was the CEO. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then I became the GM operations. So, what yeah. Stewie did was he took what he liked about being a COO and he kept them. Yeah. And then all the things that he didn't like, he gave to me so as like, GM It's like typical shit flies downhill sort <laughs> shit of. Shit flies pr- downhill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But now, look, um, Bill and Stu are two of the most complimentary people you'd you'd ever see because, um, you know, both of them understand all the fundamentals of underground mining, how it all works, what what's going. On. They're very passionate about the operation side of things. Um, Bill's big strength is is long term vision, yep. and setting audacious goals and um, being able to bring people along for the ride is is to going and uh, and having that vision. And Stewie's the executor. Like he is the yep. guy that will come in and just you know through through sheer willpower, through sheer you know force of nature, just make it happen. Yep. So to have the thinker and the executor all mm-hmm. you know as one sort of team is uh, it's just. Awesome. Well, it's it's funny you say that about Bill because I noticed just that when I interviewed him, and I'm sure you've he's it's one of those guys you when you're in the room when you're in the room with him, you just walk out, you're like, holy shit, you feel like you can achieve anything. Like you're just being in the presence of people like that is um is such a privilege. And like as you said, it makes you get you want to get on the journey with him. And I, I assume that's the journey that you've been a part of as well by being around him. Yeah, well, all these years later, I still work for him, Matty. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and it's, as I said, it's been a fun ride. And um, like, they're just good people to work, good, good people too, right? Like, yeah. we've got a lot of good people in this um, in this business and that's all part of it, right? Like, we, the fact that we can go out and all have a beer together and um, and have fun together as well as the, the work side of things. Yeah. You know, we'll come in the office in the morning and, and talk shit about football for- yeah. uh, for a few hours and, and have a laugh. Um, you know, Bill's a, a, a massive diehard West Coast Eagles supporter and he still employs me yeah. despite my uh, allegiances. <laughs> so, sympathy possibly um, for the footy <laughs> reasons. Eh? Yeah. yeah. I think he just likes punching me, you know, <laughs> just just giving me shit about footy all the time. Yeah, I do cop it from him uh, on a regular basis. And, <laughs> so, and, that, uh, that GM of operations role, was that um, – did that replace the COO or the COO existed Yeah, essentially as well? replaced yep. the COO. So, when Stewie went to CEO, I was GM ops. So, I sat between yep. Stewie and um, the site GMs, yep. the tech services, um, our, our sort of processing team, all, all that sort of thing. Yep, yep. And yeah. is that now that now that you've moved to – let me see if I've got this right. You've moved to Chief Development Officer and now Luke Cray is the COO. So, the COO has come back into – fruition now is that right yeah correct so uh what we like to do is to have the people that buy an asset so through through the MA process yep um so luke was doing uh bd for uh for last year yep um basically did the whole pogo transaction so um you know it came the opportunity came to us um he he quarterbacked the whole the whole process through to you know doing all the due diligence, saying this is what the asset can be, rather than say, okay, you've done that analysis. Now you just hand it over to an operational team and you can walk off to the sunset. Um, you know, we want a culture of accountability within Northern Star. So the accountability yeah. within BD is, if you buy an asset, expect that you're going to be the one that goes and operates it. Yep. So Luke then went from and Luke is a mate. He is. One of the best ops guys you'll ever meet in your entire life. Yeah. Um, and he he could see that potential in Pogo, and so rather than hand on that potential to someone else, he's taken he's taken that by the reins and is really d- driving and delivering those returns um, over at Pogo now. And all, all the good stuff that we're seeing on a on a site level, um, you know, is is led by by Luke and his team. So it's uh, yeah, it's really good. Yep. 
It's very exciting time. And Bill said that is that's your that's one of you that's looking to be one of Northern Star's best assets. Oh, we have an internal belief that we've yeah. said a few times that that will be our, our best asset. So it's yeah. it's Jundee with twice the grade, right? Yeah, right. Jundee's yeah. cracking all body and, and mm. you know, we're doing two million ton per annum plus out of Jundee at the moment. Pogo yeah. It's sort of a million tons. We're going to increase it to 1.3 million tons. Yeah. But if you can do that at twice the grade, then that thing's just going to spit out. Grade spit is out king. Gold, yeah. Yep. Spit out cash, and uh, is a really good beachhead into further uh, future North American opportunities for us. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's a that's uh, people won't have to go to Africa anymore to do uh, and get malaria. Like you might just freeze your toes off in Alaska, but there's um. It's it's exciting that there's going to be a lot of expat opportunities in the America region. Oh, mate. So, people are starting to talk about it. And, you know, at this uh, this recent conference I was at, you had your Newmonts of the world. Uh, they've got an Australian CEO now, um, a yep. guy called Tom Palmer. Um, and he's talking about bringing Australian methods of mining into Newmont sites. Yep. You've now got Mark Bristow who- brought Australian mining into his African sites when he was running Rangold. Yep. He's now running Barrick worldwide. He'll be bringing Australian methods into their North American sites. So, this was off limits for for what we do for, for a long period of time. They've got an entrenched culture of, of how they operate there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see more Aussies get opportunities over there in coming years for sure. Yep. And is the, <coughs> the Americans uh. getting on board with the, the Aussie methods? Was there uh- – I actually spoke to, I interviewed Ted the other week, uh, Sean Stewart, he's over there on the jumbo for, he's in Alaska, and he, he said, like, some of them, like, yeah, they bloody really, really picked it up, the oh, yeah. the Bolton and meshing with the jumbos, and it's like, it's scary, because, like, shit, now they got that up their arsenal, they'll uh, they'll be taking over the Aussie guys. Oh, they, they will, and I think that's important, too, if you're going to leverage off it and take it other places, is... Um, you know, for the Aussies to come in and say, hey, we can do this, there's that great excuse of, oh, yeah, well, that just works in Australia. Yeah. If you've got locals that are saying, no, that we did it and yep. it works, uh, it's harder to say no to. And and I guess that's the the key for us has been to have guys like Ted over there and, and to have your frontline jumbo ops over there to go in and, and show them that, yeah, you can achieve that. Yep. That's one of the biggest things because- you can say that, no, you can't do that until the cows come home. But uh, as soon as you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. You know, you can be on your bolter getting two rounds per shift, shift in, shift out, you know, one and a half to two rounds. That's all you can do. Then someone comes in with a with a split feed jumbo and does five. Yeah. You're like, you know, <laughs> what just you're happened? Like, Holy <laughs> shit, this guy's driving a Ferrari and I'm driving a Ford Focus. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. It's uh, unbelievable. It'd be. I mean, it'd be, it would have been interesting to see how they actually did it. But uh, of uh, are those bolters are they are they gone? They're off site. Yeah, essentially all yeah. off site. And you know the the jumbo development fleet um, has now gone down to five split. Fe- well, we've got a four twenty two I and, and yeah, some yeah. split feeds there, and we're doing um, you know well over the development rate that they were doing with twice that many twice yeah. as many machines before yeah so, well that's it yeah. yeah a lot of do saving a lot of diesel now chief development officer yep is that a is it a common title that is around many companies uh is it few- as easy in the corporate world you can make up a title just to suit it is absolutely as easy as making up any <laughs> title maddie absolutely um <laughs> You do have your shareholders to answer to and everything if you're, yep. if you're just giving, you know, 
spurious roles and titles to your mates. But, you know, we think, um, so, so Chief Development Officer, I'm back on the, the business development side of things. So looking yeah. at, at growth uh, for the company, um, you know, and we think that there's an awesome opportunity off the platform that we've built, off the skill set that we've built, you know, this, this whole efficient underground mining um, skill set, which is not a common thing to have around the world. That we can leverage off that into into other opportunities. So, you know, we have a, a, a five year plan internally. We essentially see ourselves as having three sites. You know, Kalgoorlie, Jundee, Pogo. Yep. Um, Stewie Tonkin's got a great saying that you know minds are like children. You don't want more than there are days in the week. <laughs> Otherwise, you can't give them the care and attention that they deserve, <laughs> or a bigger car. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> so. You know, I think that that sort of five to seven range of sites is something that that we could manage with our current team and our current yep. capabilities. You know, three sites, nine hundred thousand ounces, going up to five to seven sites, being one point five to two point one million ounces. If you can find the right sites and right operations, yep, um, that's something that's within our capabilities. So, you know, there's we have awesome assets that um, you know we believe in the long life of, and, and that's sort of the stable base of the company. What what you know my role is um you know with the help of many others in the organization is to try and leverage off that to yeah. to add value to our shareholders by grabbing other sites and then you know essentially operating them the northern Salway to, to add value yeah so anywhere in the world is not off limits for international travel for you at the moment no 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 so look we're tier one jurisdictions only yeah. so it's australia usa canada that's yeah. all we that's all we want to do and, and that's yeah. that ability to be able to go and enact change and um and look it's where we're comfortable working so when you say um, tier one like like you don't include africa so part of that tier one c classification it's not the quality it's like your sovereign risk and things like that like safety that's right and look the way that um you sort of and look, some people make a lot of good money and do do things mining in Africa and doing all that. Yeah. Um, it's just not for us yep. because of our our pure like operational focus. It's that ability to go in and enact change without, um, you know, without fear that you're going to yeah. wake up one day you'll have a different tax regime or you know your site's been taken off you or you've yeah. got a, a big community issue around you. Um, that ability to to enact our business model to to the operation is one of the core sort of gateways that we look at when we when we're looking to to do any any type of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds like a very exciting, diverse, and yeah. busy role. It, you, it, you, how many platinum buddy frequent flyer memberships have you got at the moment? Oh, look, I've just one, just one <laughs> platinum, one for me. Uh, I do feel for for, oh, for how many airlines? Kate Somerville said she's got two platinums with two different airlines. That's how much she travels. Oh so. no, no, I just have, I just have the one. But poor old, uh, poor old Lukey Cray, who's been uh, between here and Alaska many times over the last uh, twelve months, has got platinum one. Oh, right. And that's yeah. the one where the hosties come up to you and they're like, Platinum One, geez, I know how much you have to fly for that. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> yeah, that's what Kate said. She's like, uh, Platinum membership means you have no life, essentially. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the record, the world record. Ooh. Oh, mate. Congratulations. But uh, 
oh, I'd love to work at a mine where there's a capability to get a world record. There's shitload of headings, uh, nice and tight. <laughs> and, uh, but you're obviously, as you said, when you- Is you that said- a subtle mes- message to Pat Bonniewell and Burncut that you're looking for a job, Matty? <laughs> <laughs> at Jundee? Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bring there just any I'm demand. I'm getting in trouble now, mate, with your current employer. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, fun. no, I'm not good enough that they'll, they'll be like, just go, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but- uh, as you said, it's a, the I guess the focus is on like who were the four jumbo ops that did it. But as you said, it's such a collective effort from everyone in the oh, whole mate, look, organization. Service crew, truck drives, charge up boggers, tech services, everything to make that possible. To to get that sort of result, you need to have like a whole month of just going hard with no fuck ups with nothing, yeah. and that is an absolute collective thing. So. Um, I mean, those jumbo operators that did it, those burn cut jumbo ops are, are absolute guns, right? And yeah. now you've got guys on that crew that are 25 with 18 months of jumbo experience that that were involved in it. So you're not talking about the, you know, the, the guys veterans, that have got yeah. uh, you know 20 years experience on a jumbo. You've just got a culture there of of wanting to do better and and wanting yeah. to, you know, but you even go underground and you talk to the sweet guys at Jundee doing the diamond drilling sometimes and they're trying to break records on a shift mm. you know they're like oh i'm going for the single shift record today with yeah. one person yeah and or we're going you know we're set up really well we've seen in the, in the plan so we're going for the you know the swing record of, of diamond drill meters and that's just a it's just a positive culture to have mm. and and you don't have people standing around going oh no that's a dumb idea yeah um don't do that it's how can we help you like what's our part in it and um you know, it, it's probably not my story to tell. I think you should devote a, a whole podcast to I it actually, sometime, uh, mate. I've actually, uh, I actually messaged Wes McGrath and Josh Devereaux and they said he's uh, they've they've taken it up top to burn cut and they'll get back to me. So I don't know what their views on social media are, but uh, you might actually now you might be able to just put a little. But yeah, I actually did want to do an episode with yeah, him just absolutely. to and, and you thought should. it would be a great yarn. I reckon. And Wes wouldn't be shy in telling me a few facts and figures behind the whole thing. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You might need a, an extension. It might be a two. <laughs> Part episode when you get Wes on, mate. No, he's a good bloke, Wes. Yes. Yeah, so, nah, that was awesome. Well done. It definitely got, oh God, it got some good mileage. It's still getting mileage on LinkedIn. It's still coming up, people commenting. It still on does. It. And, uh, um, and this is another thing. Like, it's about getting that information out there of what you can achieve. And, yep. you know, we were, I was lucky enough to be on site with Bill. Uh, you know, it was only a couple of days into September and we're underground going, you know, is this legit? Like when you first see it, you look at the number and you're like, "That is a, that is a ridiculously large number of uh, of meters to get with one job." And like, no, this is how we did it. They yep. talk you through it, and you're like, "Oh yeah, okay, yep. that sounds reasonable." Yeah, and but it's you got to, as you said, you got to, you don't have like just three headings for them in the shift. You got to have that headings and availability, and that that comes back to the engineers having plans ready, survey ready. Like it's all like it's a big wheel that everyone's got to contribute to keep that big wheel turning. But to, absolutely, you can't uh, you can't do it with five or six headings. So I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of, of those, work goes into it. You know, a lot of those headings as well are on geo control. So mm. just having your geos down there, not saying, "Hey, you know, mate, you're a contractor. Good you'll luck be waiting to me for if me." I did. <laughs> um, they were down there, like yep. just constantly, just keeping, making sure it was alive and, and doing yep. it. And everyone on site was excited about yep. about what they could achieve. So, um, mate, more power to them, right? There you go. It's, it's Is it? Um, oh God, I've just been. I've been at geo control places where they've just unfortunately like it's just such faulty ground like you can be in the ore and then you take a cut and it's just gone and you got to go left, yep. right. It's just. Uh, 
you just pray if you're in a gold mine that you don't have many faults because God, it can make bloody things confusing. I'm not sure you don't have to go into what the conditions are like at Jundee, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. Would you ever do it again? Is there is that like? Was it just the the holes in the cheese lined up for? Because didn't you just break it the month before as well or something? No, there was a previous uh, record of six hundred and thirty nine point nine meters. Yeah, uh, and then this one was you know six hundred and fifty four point three meters. So it, they yep. smashed the last record as well. But um, you know the key is to not have those blips, right? Like it's great to have that. Yeah, but if you can consistently go. Um, I Smash five fifty yeah, every yeah, month. Averages yeah. five fifty a month. Um, yeah. Then that's that's great. And you know our, our jumbo at Millennium is like month in month out five hundred to five hundred and fifty meters that's a month. Unbelievable. Those guys are, are jets and they're doing it every single month, month yeah. on month. And you know your your contractors, no matter who they are, they'd be going in and tendering for contracts at you know two hundred and fifty mm. meters per month. Yeah, exactly. And that's where they make their money is getting getting that in quicker and, and getting their revenue up. Then they might get slowed yeah. down by the client because they don't have enough money to pay them or yeah. or something. But um, that's the beauty of us being that owner operator or wanting out and wanting our minds to be developed quicker. Like we see that value in it. Yeah. Um, down the down the train, so we just don't don't hold them up. As I said, I just go back to what I said before, right? Like you, you're saying to the guys, what are your roadblocks? What's holding you up? What do yeah. I need to fix? And then the keys in the action, the keys in actually going and, and acting on it and changing things so that you, yep. you make them, you know, you give them that ability to go quicker and, and, and get those results. So. Well, and the thing I was surprised about the most of that when I talked to a mate, he said the actual, the survey recon at the end of the month actually came out, it was like 40, 50 metres ahead. I don't know, we're making numbers up here, but like usually you'd be like if they're on paper, this is all the meters yeah, we got. Yeah. And then the survey recon actually- cuts Yeah, it could be like just getting yeah. a quick one away in the shift and it's actually come out ahead. That, may, that makes it even more impressive that like the, the on paper- uh, meters at the end of the month were actually under call. So yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, all credit to the the burn cut crew and the Jundee crew for being able to to get it done because there was no you know special source or special putting to it. It was mm. done through just good teamwork and and people working hard. Yeah, and that's what you like to see, right? You see rewards like that. So. Yeah. Hopefully those guys got uh, got paid well. Those jumbo yeah, ops, I those reckon, bogger ops, everyone reckon, for that reckon, month. Their pay packets. I don't reckon uh, it all went into Coggy's pocket. Yeah, I reckon no, yeah. they deserve everything that they got, mate. Yeah. It's uh, it's good. Right to wrap this uh, part one up, mate. Stralo in ten years is is CEO on the on the radar. Is that have you got have you got are your goals continuing on? Where where are you heading, mate? Where do you want to head? Well, it, it it's hard to say um, just because. I couldn't have told you how the last 10 years would go. Yep. Uh, so it's very hard to tell you. And like, I think that there's, um, you know, the potential for even sort of fundamental changes in the, in the mining industry going forward. Uh, I do, I would like to think that, that sometime between now and whenever my career ends that I've had at least one crack at being an MD of, yep. of something, Maddie. So, uh, but that doesn't have to be now, right? That could be in the future. Uh, as I said before, you know, as long as I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing and, you know, you're getting recognition for the things that you're doing. Um, you know, that's what keeps me, you know, getting out of bed and coming to work in the morning. And, um, you know, I really enjoy the job here. We've got a an awesome company with an awesome culture, with awesome people. And, and to give that away lightly would be, uh, would be pretty difficult. Mm. So, you know, just uh, enjoying the ride, mate. And, yeah. um, 
you know, building a bit of experience. So I'm, I'm on a board of a company called VentureX Resources. Been, been on um, that a while, though. Four been years on, or been so. on that a while. I did a LinkedIn yeah. stalk. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Uh, so, look, a bit of that in the future. Like, I quite enjoy being yeah. uh, that, that sort of NED role. And, and again, they're, you know, they're good people that I work with and uh, it's a great little project. And, um, yeah, and look, I just enjoy it. You know, I've got a young family at home too. Mm. So, uh, you know, wanting to be there for my kids and be, you know, a good, you know, present, you know, father and, and husband and all those sort of things is, yep. is really important too. Massive thing to juggle, isn't it? I assume. Do you, do you work, you work a lot harder now than when you're on site based, do you think? Even though you're home, every, or you're not even home every night, you probably, are you home less uh, doing the corporate flying everywhere? I was home less when I was GM ops and yep. more sporadically because you'd be like, oh, you know, you'd get home on a Monday and go, oh, I'm going to site for two days. Yeah, yeah. See you later. Yeah. So, um, it can be quite hard for your partner as well, like trying mm. to juggle, you know, your unreliability, I guess. Mm. Um, and, you know, my wife still works and, and enjoys work. So, it's, um, you know, it does create its own challenges. Yep. Um, in this role now, I'm probably in Perth a bit more, but then there are times where- um, I mean, mate, there was a- Follow LinkedIn and so you travel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're in Alaska one moment, then Denver after that. The, the things are, right, is the ro- roles change and nothing's ever just consistent and flat the whole time. But if they were, you'd get bored. Well, I remember working on a deal a couple of years ago. Never saw the light of day. People would have no idea that we did it. But, mate, we were in this office uh, for a month straight- seven days a week working until 10 o'clock at night back in here at six o'clock in the morning to to be able to put something on the table there yeah, right. we got there it, it ended up not being successful but man we learn a lot during during that time as well and um you know again you got to have a you know, like something out of a tv show isn't it but it actually happens yeah 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 I mean, world. we had a lot of uber eats that uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh that, that month but um but look, these are the things that you just just have to do sometimes, and yep. um, you know the 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 value that we've created, the shareholder value that we've created over the past nine years as a as a company, you know, as a team, has been you know phenomenal to go from a ten million dollar company to a seven billion dollar company. Mm. Um, we just look at the share know, price appreciation you, to <laughs> you look at the the big things that that you've done, and to be a part of that, you just you're just happy, right? Yep. So. Um, so look, yeah, you work hard, but uh, when you see results and when you see, um, you know, you see growth and you see, you know, people around you grow as well. I mean, that, that's what that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, and it's and it's fun. But um, all I can say to you is, I hope in ten years' time that Fremantle's at least won one fucking <laughs> premiership. <laughs> Oh, you're gonna have to. Well, you got no hope of Northern Star ever sponsoring them, mate, unless you take over MD. But <laughs> oh, good stuff, mate. Well, on behalf of Life of Mine, I'm just trying to make it sound fancy because it's just me, mate. <laughs> but uh, thanks for everything you've done for the industry, for grads, for uh, for me today having me here after I let you down eight years ago. And uh, good on you, mate. And you've just done very proud of what you've done good on you no, I and, appreciate it Maddie. and uh, we'll go on to part two although I think we need a pardon the pun but you need a bit of a stretch yep. but uh, nice and we'll get on to part two nurturing the graduates cheers Strala bloody good chat with Strala there he's a great example of showing where loyalty can take you been with Northern Star near a decade and uh, 
Look at the life he's living now. Well, well earned, well deserved. Good on your stretch. Much appreciated. And lock in for part two, especially if you're an engineer or even a geo or even a surveyor. Go on to part two, all about nurturing graduates and, I guess, tips and tricks for, and oh, just some good sound advice, really, for people that are new to the industry looking to get some expertise and progress through it, but how to have a good attitude about in those early days when you don't really know as much, even if you do think you do. Anyway, stay tuned for plenty more Life of Mine, and we've got a bit happening at the moment. We've got a new, got the websites about to be launched. Got a couple other initiatives I might even do a special episode on. Bit of a bit of an update for everyone. So stay safe out there. Cheers everyone.